Good evening, Guardians. It's February 15th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 14 of Ghost Stories, a Destiny podcast. Tonight, uh, we are, we've got a very special guest here, and we're, we're actually very excited about this. Um, he, I don't even, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say. I mean, this is just, this is kind of, of huge for us, because we've been kind of joking about this for a while, and we, we've kind of ambushed this gentleman a few times on on Twitter just uh, just kind of jokingly and, and he's responded to us and so we we went through some different channels and got a hold of him but uh, but this week along with me and drop slash hey drop how's it going not too bad not too bad yourself I'm, I'm doing well uh, enough about us now um, <laughs> our our guest here with us this evening is uh, mr. John Ryan uh, he is a writer of uh, and worked on Destiny. He worked on uh, on some of our content we've experienced here over the past year, and uh, and we're just super excited to have you. So, John, thanks for so much for for coming on with us. X-ray uh, drop slash. Good evening. How are you guys doing? <laughs> doing great. Fantastic. Excited about this. So, again, just before we get started. If you uh, want to reach out to us on Twitter, we're at dghoststories on Twitter. Uh, our email is destinyghoststories at gmail.com. Um, you can get a hold of us any, any, any way that you see fit, and we'll have all of these, uh, these links in our show notes. You can check them out. Um, but on to more fun and exciting stuff here. Uh, so again, if, back in October when we first kind of launched our our little podcast experiment that has, has blown up in our face here. Well, I don't guess, I guess that's the wrong way to put it. It didn't really blow up in our face. <laughs> blown it blew, up in a good way. It, yeah, there you go. It, <laughs> it, it was blew a up. wonderful explosion. <laughs> it blew up and we just kind of, I think our, we, our faces dropped. So um, <laughs> we, we were looking around and trying to find people that we might want to engage down the road. And we said, well, what better kind of people to look for than, writers and and people who've worked on the lore and so uh you know i was like oh man i remember this guy and an article that came out whenever they were talking about him coming from guild wars 2 so i looked up that article and then followed links and links and links and found you on twitter and uh added you and, and made a few comments here and there and it was I'm just so, I'm, I'm sorry for all the swearing uh <laughs> No, you know what? Oh my gosh! And, and all the all all the, all the tawdry and tasteless jokes. I'm I'm surprised you still followed me. Oh my gosh! That that's what kept me there. You're you're oh, me and you are on the same page, man. And I think I think I made a a comment or a post referencing uh, gorillas at one time, the band, and yes. and you were like, "Ooh yeah!" And I'm like, "Oh, this guy, me and him are gonna get along just fine." <laughs> I get some weird looks still when I when I reference gorillas. I actually made them uh, the intro to one of our podcasts and I think I got removed from editing podcasts from there on out but that's all right so um anyway we we like I said I think we badgered badgered you a little bit and and you're like oh I listened to it sounds great and I swear beta just he's like he listened to our podcast he got so excited about it and and I mean it was it was a it was a great moment and and that was kind of, of when we said you know what we are gonna do this and have fun with it and and hopefully get the right people on to talk to later down the road. And this and is one this day is that, that time. Might happen. So yeah, one day that might happen. Oh, <laughs> it's happened. Right person will come along. 
Oh, we've got you. We want to talk to you. You're you're our our, our special guest, and we want to uh, to find out some some more about you and and what you do and and kind of uh, the the your your backstory, your origin story, and a little bit about uh, how you got into to writing for video games. So, uh, what uh, what kind of what kind of formal education do you have, or, or do you have any formal education as far as uh, writing and and uh, the the joke when uh, I was hired at ArenaNet is that they they found me in a dumpster, and that's the that's how they get all the new writers. Um, sometimes it's sometimes it's a it's a finding a dumpster. Sometimes it's a knife fight. Um, yes, yes. But uh, I I grew up not really believing I could ever be in video games. I I wanted to be a journalist. Um, I was, everybody else was like into like sports or, you know, being cool. And I was like a nerd who grew up on like news and Greek mythology and dinosaurs and star Wars. I, yeah, there was something wrong with me, but, um, I found out that I sucked at math. So I stuck with words and uh, I, I ended up, you know, doing the whole English lit thing and, and studying history. And journalism was like this great job where you got to, like, write and people would read it. And you get to, like, go in, write something a day and go home. And it seemed like this really cool thing that something you wrote would show up. Uh, I'm not sure if you kids out there remember what they call newspapers, but um, <laughs> this was, it was a thing that, you know, it was made of paper and it had a day's news on it and you had to wait a whole other day to get a whole new <laughs> thing of news. Uh, yeah, that was considered cutting edge back in the day. And uh, I, I stuck with journalism for a while and then uh, I... I was approached when I was at a Seattle newspaper. It was my last newspaper job. And a buddy of mine said, Hey, do you know anything about video games? Uh, yeah. I wasted my youth just like everybody else I know playing video <laughs> games. Uh, and, he, and he said, um, Could you help me out? I'm doing video game freelance reviews for MSNBC.com. And he said... Uh, could I have you on hand for something? And I said, sure. Uh, what is it? And we sat down and he said, I want you to help me write video game reviews. And he was a buddy of mine. And I said, sure. And he goes, can you review the first expansion for World of Warcraft? Oh, man. I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I said yes before even thinking about it. And then I ran around all I thinking, I'm going to pull this off. And my work didn't suck, um, and I wasn't an affront to the English language. So, you know, th things worked out, more reviews happened, and then I saw an ad on Craigslist. Now, contrary to what you might hear about Craigslist, sometimes <laughs> there's actually job postings there. Uh, I don't recommend you kids out there actually ever do this, like, you know, reading it for uh, job postings. Because uh, Craigslist is a pretty sketchy place. But uh, I didn't know any better. And I uh, clicked on a link and it said, um, writer for a video game studio. And I thought, 
Okay. <laughs> this is a scam. Yeah, exactly. I thought I was going to wake up somewhere in Redmond without a kidney. And uh, it turned out it was for Microsoft Game Studio. They wanted a website writer who would um, do the cross between like fiction and marketing. Um, and Wow, what a it, weird combination. It was. It was strange. It was, it was called Web Content Writer. And whatever it is, it would just be, um, um, like, satellite content. So if it was, like, uh, the first thing I ever worked on after they hired me was uh, Project Gotham Racing 4. And let us all take a minute to pour out a 40 for Project Gotham Racing. (laughs) I miss it to this day. A wonderful arcade racer, just so much fun. But I wrote articles. I did video tips. I was kind of left to my own devices. Um, wow. Me and a couple other people, we were all doing like different things. I knew another guy was uh, working on the Gears of War franchise. Nice. Uh, and you know, we eventually I drew. Um, I got to do Fable Two. That was like my big thing. I got wow. to start to do from the very beginning, and it was awesome. And I had so much fun. And all I, I wrote like fiction for the Fable Two world online it was a companion website piece and it was crazy it was just me an editor half of a programmer and half of a graphic artist and we cobbled it together and put it together into this sort of fictional travel guide to the fable world of albion and i i couldn't explain this to like the seven-year-old me that this would actually be a job one day (laughs) Because my seven-year-old me was still playing with like dinosaurs, going "shut up," and, <laughs> and then it's like, you know, my my seven-year-old me was still fascinated by that wood grain on the Atari twenty-six hundred. Oh, I love that! Yeah, it's it matched every basement in the seventies. Yep, and it was just like, so as an adult, I'm still running to 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 believe that this is actually an industry. And after that, I went to go to Microsoft Casual Games and then to Xbox Live and then ended up at ArenaNet for about five years, which, man, one day, if, if I ever get my brains together, I really want to do like a Mad Men, like <laughs> set in the video game industry. And it would pretty much be all my time at ArenaNet because I'm not saying it was like like sleazy, like madman type thing with like alcoholism and sexism but but the nice more... suits in the high rise exactly <laughs> you know drinking at 9 30 in the morning no i mean we put off drinking until 10 30 so <laughs> gotta be respectable right you know um no but seriously that was like um that was really sort of where i grew up and i owe a lot of what happened you know, developing as a writer, as as a as a narrative designer, and learning a lot about the industry was at ArenaNet, and I had always been a fan of Bungie. I've been a fan of Bungie since the days of Marathon. Nice. And I thought, because you know, I I I was again, um, I was a, I wasn't with it. So I had a Mac in the nineties, <laughs> and that meant I could play. Excel yes. and Word. Well, everybody else had like Doom and like Commander Keen and like the you know the 3D Wolfenstein. 
you know, there's this company in Chicago called Bungie, and they put out Marathon. It was like, we didn't forget about you, Mac users. You can shoot aliens in the face, too. And we were so thrilled. <laughs> like, all 250 of us who bought, <laughs> like, Mac shooter games. And, you know, I thought, man, I Bungie. I would love to, you know, work at that, work with them one day. And sure enough, there was a writer ad, and I tripped over myself to fill it out. Nice. And I, I put it together. I sent it off, and um, Bungie is really thorough about how they vet candidates. And it took back and forth about six months. Wow. To get in and finally do the face-to-face interview, and. Um, the face-to-face interview is no joke. Uh, it's one of the most intense moments of my life, uh, going through the gauntlet. Uh, when I got done, I was, I was punchy. I was like, "Yeah, I could do this for two more hours. Keep sending them in. Bring it. <laughs> this is Sparta. You know, I was just really into it." And there was, and I barely remember the nice HR woman. You know, sort of, you know showing me out the door and with my little, you know, here's your, here's your thank you gift for coming in today. I can still do this. You know, <laughs> apparently I thought this was like a game show. The longer I last, the better. Swag <laughs> they give me. Um, and I thought I blew it. And then they came back and they said, we don't want you as a writer. I mean, you, you were, you were fine as a writer, but we, what we want to do is bring you in on the narrative team as an editor slash lore master. And um, I had like tinnitus in my head at that point. So I'm trying, Cause I've been I, like six months trying to wrap my head around being a writer. And what would that mean? And all the stuff they were telling me in the interview about what they had planned. And I was like, hmm. Oh wow. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, this is, this is Bungie. This is, you know, the house that marathon and halo built. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, I'll, I'll, I took a day to think about it, and I said, "I'll be, I'll be your editor. I will be your lore master." And I, that's eventually my title shook out because it was kind of a, it was kind of a new role. It was kind of an experiment, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so the formal title was copy editor. So that's what my title was, and um, what copy editor was is all the, the, the VO and the text that went into the game, you know, at some point in going down river passed by me. And I, I informally, I would sit in with the senior story editor and I was trying to catalog all the stuff that was coming in Wow! and trying to, to try to make it sort of make sure uh, uh, to quote the TV show, the wire, make sure all the pieces matter. And, you know, there'd also be times where um, every so often a writer would come in and he goes, let me, let me try to, you know, let me pitch this to you. And <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't anybody who could say no, but it was the idea of when you're a writer, it's always good because writers have this tendency to hermit. And the idea is if, if you can, like, form a good partnership with someone that you trust, like another writer, uh, or someone else that you can go to and you can sort of bounce ideas off of in good constructive criticism, mm-hmm. your stuff will just shine so nice. much better. So, uh, so the writers would come there every once in a while and he goes, let me, you know, let me, you know, knock, let me you know, bounce this off you. And we'd sit and we'd talk and we would, you know, talk about like, 
you know, how different races would approach different things. And it would just be sort of like, you know, sometimes it would just be, how does this work? You know, this piece of technology work. And I'd stare off into the sky and go, <laughs> okay, John, be impressive. Space magic. Oh, John, be impressive. And, you know, we, we would eventually piece it out because I think they were working on something and they were trying to, to, to figure it out as well. Because as you guys know, Destiny is this massive, like, 40-mile-long, 10-mile-high piece of tiramisu that's just <laughs> shocked, full of, you know, just mind-blowing technology, time travel, you know, religious edicts, mysterious artifacts from the Golden Age, all sort of, you know, lost in time or an echo or something you know, some mystery around the corner that you haven't got all the clues to yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the idea was, it, it kind of comes down to two things. It's sort of like how to, how to show a story and how to tell a story. And how to tell the story is, okay, this is the story that we want to tell. These are the beats we want to hit. These are the characters we want to introduce. This is the revelation that we want to have here. This is the resolution we want to have here. We want to have this arc go to this point. We want to have this arc, you know, decline. Uh, all that is a story we want to tell. How to show it is a whole different matter. Is how do we, what's the best way to show off this part of the story? And keep in mind that there are hundreds of people working at Bungie. And everybody is working on that answer about how to show this story. Um, so is that, is that something that you find unique to working in video games where versus more traditional writing, where in more traditional writing, you can build the narrative and then you can lay it out and flesh it out in words. But in something like destiny, like a video game, you have to always be considering how is this going to be shown? Like how, how is this going to play out on a screen in front of somebody versus them just reading the text of it? Well, yeah, I think, um, I think it's something that games are sort of developing their own language. It's sort of like, um, when film got started, film took a lot from theater, like stage, mm -hmm. um, when it was trying to develop its own language. And then eventually over the, the hundred or so years of cinema, film can tell its own language. When we say something is cinematic, uh, I believe we're using the shorthand is like we're watching a film. Yeah. Um, television came after film and television sort of had to figure out how to develop its own language because it can't match film. Um, you can't have um, a TV show like, oh, uh, name a TV show. Like the, the first thing that comes to my mind is Daredevil. <laughs> Daredevil. Okay. Like the, like the, the Marvel's uh, Netflix Daredevil. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Daredevil can't match something like Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a, you know, huge, expensive, special effect driven film. Daredevil yeah. is far more intimate. Yeah. So it uses, I guess, the intimacy of TV um, of, you know, sets, different lighting, all that sort of stuff to its own advantage. It's not going for a spectacle like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. So I think the idea is when it comes to video games, which is still developing its own language, I think, uh, is to figure out 
how to best tell that story. And we're still figuring out, I think, the best way to supersede the language of stage, of film, and of TV. So uh, I think that's kind of one of the more interesting things that's happening right now is, you know, with all this technology at our disposal, are there new ways to tell uh, stories and games? And I think that's something when you have hundreds of people working on a game, whether it's like Destiny or maybe like one of the Assassin's Creed games, mm-hmm. it's figuring out, okay, how do you tell a story in new ways without losing the people who aren't caught up in that language yet? And I have a feeling I completely pogoed off into another direction. So if I didn't answer the question, please let me know. No, no, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And uh, I, I mean, I personally find it fascinating because you're also crafting like a level of interaction. Yeah. And also, I mean, you, you can't go into like a 10 minute cutscene. I mean, I think only Hideo Kojima can do that. <laughs> um, and I don't mean that as disrespect. No, not it's at all. Just, that's how, that's how he can tell his story. Yeah. But I think, you know, you, you want to make sure that the player is always engaged. And I think there's a point, and this is where UX researchers come into play and they'll tell you better than I can when a player's eyes glaze over and they're just not connected to the game anymore. Well, I mean, you look at the game right now and what was the one thing everyone asked for? And I know that once you see a cutscene once, people are like, okay, I want to skip it. But that right. was the thing. People just, I think, inherently want to smash a button and skip this part and get to the action where, you know, a majority of players do. And and so, you know, being able to to tell your story in a shorter amount of time is key to keep their interest. Yeah, I th- I think you can do sort of like it it depends on again the tools at your disposal and how you want to tell the story. I go back and I look at something like um Half-Life 2. Mm-hmm. Half-Life 2 doesn't have a cutscene in it. Except maybe I yeah, I can't I can't think of a cutscene in that entire game. No, but the and the idea is everything is happening around you, like you're. If if you walked onto a stage in the middle of a play and you weren't kicked off, let's just say, and the mm-hmm. play was still happening around you, that's kind of how they told narrative. The idea is that, um, like when I think Doctor Mossman and and one of the other scientists are bickering in in one of the underground labs there's their their confrontation is happening in front of you but if you if you look around while they're arguing nothing else is happening so it's sort of a an automatic direct your attention but i think what so used I, to what used to get me with that is and i know exactly what you're talking about is yeah. if you would walk away from them the narrative would get quieter and quieter and i would actually be exploring around a little bit and i'm like oh what do you say i couldn't hear it and i'd have to run back over hoping i could figure out how to re-trigger it <laughs> yeah and i that's again you see when you have something like valve thought at that time during development that was the best way to tell a story um there's there are times where you just you you don't want to gamble at all to have players or you're afraid that you, the, you don't want the players to miss something. So at some times, the, the game control will be taken away from the player and you'll have a cutscene play. So it's like, okay, gang, you can't miss this. 
but I get what you're saying about, okay, I've seen this. Can I please press the button to skip? Um, I always yeah. wonder. I always wonder if like narrative designers and like set riggers and lighting specialists, you know, they see that all the community wants is the ability to skip these pieces of the game. They've put so much time and effort and care into. And yeah, but I think on the flip side is there's always going to be people who appreciate that set dressing mm -hmm. and that attention to we're now going to have this scene in front of you. Um, it's it's like in Taken King, there's the bit after the Guardian and Ghost evacuate from Phobos mm -hmm. and it cuts back and you see uh, the Vanguard discussing everything that's happening. Such a great scene. Yeah, and well that's, that's something is you're getting a lot of information in, the, in that sequence. Um, and, the, and I think this is sort of filling you in in the logic of while, while the Guardian is flying from Phobos back to Earth. So this is happening sort of meanwhile, mm -hmm. and then we cut to this panel, and we show you know the Vanguard doing their thing, and then Eris coming in, and things being set up down the line. So uh, it, it's really a decision at a senior level is how to make sure that the player is still engaged and what is the best way to show and tell a story. And that's a constant struggle. That cutscene was interesting to me just because you know, we, we experience Destiny, the majority of the game, from the first person where we are we are the character. Right. So when a cutscene exists where our character is not present, uh, it seems like an interesting sort of narrative shift where we, if we are the character, we wouldn't have insight into what's happening. So a very deliberate choice must have been made to show us this. There, there's something important is happening that we need to be aware of right. as a and player. No, and, and that's a great point. I think it's the idea of how that all gets decided and, you know, what's the call made for narrative efficiency. So, um, yeah, it's, there are, whatever you see a cutscene, you, you have to understand that a cutscene may be up there for like 60, 70 seconds. That 60, 70 seconds are, are, are combed over and rewritten and reshot and remo-capped and reevaluated, its existence is called into question, and all just to get that sixty to seventy seconds up there. It's it's the the sweat equity behind it is just amazing. So now as copy editor, did you have sort of not oversight's the wrong word, but did you have sort of a a, a knowledge or an ability to view all these things as they're happening? Like here's here's the the thirty seconds we're working on right now. This needs to happen in a certain way. This is what we're looking for. That is a that is something that's sort of was elevated above me. Okay, and sort of decide you know banged out as reevaluated along those lines. What I did is when it got down and you got to see the animatics of it, or you got to see, you know, um, the rough version of it. And we, when we had VO for it, I would listen to VO and I'd see it crawl across the screen. And I'd listen to it, and I'd go over the where the VO lived inside my computer, mm -hmm. and I would make sure this matches, this matches, this matches, oh, right. this matches, this matches. And not only that, but they all fire and look right. And if there was a misfire, if all of a sudden you got like five lines at once, it's like, okay, <laughs> let's throw open the hood, let's see what happened. 
And I, you know, it would go down and I would talk to our audio coordinator and then talk to audio and we'd try to figure out what went wrong. Fantastic. I'm just, uh, I, I can't do anything but sit here and just smile and listen. This is, <laughs> this is amazing. Sorry. Uh, well, so I, I mean, I have this, these questions right here in front of me. Uh, so I'll just ask this one a little bit more directly. So I was doing research into this interview and you produced so much content for Guild Wars too. It's, it's kind of amazing. I, when you were mentioning earlier, like if you're going to put together a show, Mad Men style, like you could, you could do like five or six seasons based on the work that you did on Guild Wars too. There's so much, uh, do you feel like that experience? And you mentioned that you sort of cut your teeth and that was your, like your, your big growing experience. You feel like that helped you a lot, uh, to handle something like destiny, which is seems to be more of a, like a media property than just a game. And, and destiny has an enormous scope. Uh, yeah. Um, well, first off, thank you. Um, uh, I have to say that just like on destiny, um, I didn't work alone in guild wars too. There were so many talented people I worked with and it wasn't just me. It was, I got to be a part of that. And the same thing goes with, with destiny. Um, two, uh, no one does really anything alone in video games. Mm -hmm. And, um, a lot of the stuff I had learned from Guild Wars 2 carried with it, um, forward in, into Destiny. Actually, one of the most important lessons I learned in games came from when I was at Microsoft and I was working on the Fable 2 project Mm -hmm. and, I had this idea for what I wanted the companion site for Fable 2 to be. And I went and I went to our graphic artist who was going to be our, our, our half of a graphic artist. She was a whole person. We just got half for her for 20 hours a week. Um, so I would sit with her and I like sat down, you know, in her, in her office and I gave this 10 minute long spiel about what this thing was going to be. And got done, and she looked at me like I had lobsters crawling out of my ears. I was just like, I'm an idiot. So I, I drove home, and I'm just stewing, like, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And then it hit me. John, you knucklehead, she's an artist. Draw a picture. Oh. I, get a, I, get a, I luckily get a morning meeting with her the next day, and I, I got a sketch pad. And I got a pencil, and I can't draw, but I tried. And trust me, when you're sitting across from a graphic artist trying to draw, it's not intimidating whatsoever. <laughs> so I, I drew this out, and I, I made crude boxes, and I made like um, little X's for pictures and scribbles for words, and I, I showed her. And within five minutes, she got it, and we were like on the at the whiteboard, you know, banging everything else out, and it was just like. The first rule I learned that really stuck with me was if you're going to talk to somebody outside your discipline, learn to speak that language. If you're going to talk to somebody about programming, you don't have to like be a whiz at programming, but you should at least understand what programmers do. And you should understand how work would impact them and how they try to solve problems. If you're going to have an art question, draw a picture and say, this is kind of what I'm aiming for. If you're going to have an audio question, um, again, you don't have to be a master audio engineer, but you should at least learn a little bit about the craft. 
And I had taken that lesson, learned it at ArenaNet, picked up a few more much-needed lessons at ArenaNet um, about trying to, you know, come at a common vision when you have people with disparate visions. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll explain more about that in a second. All that was sort of packed up in a nice sort of, oh God, bento box of good (laughs) ideas. And I shipped it out with me to Bungie. And the idea was to sit down in a room and, you know, this is, if there's a question I have about a writer who is, is using language is to one, use it in constructive criticism and say, okay, I'm afraid we can't use this term. We can't say so-and-so has fallen because we have the fallen in the game. Yeah. Um, so we, we have, if, if, if there's something where, you know, the cabal, if it's something that could lean towards, say, like a cabal or a vex type thing, we have to make sure that it has to lean toward, um, we have to make sure that we're not confusing something with like an established idea elsewhere. One of the ideas is we had to be careful around the words light and darkness because light and darkness in the Destiny universe have such a, an important connotation that we have to sort of write around that and figure out how, what's the best way to say it. Um, I do this all the time in our show notes. I make sure that <laughs> like capital V void and lowercase right. V void or like capital L light or you know, lowercase L light. Right. And the idea is, you know, trying to go, go around is, um, you know, figuring out voice and figuring out things along those lines is, you know, working with um, writers or working with designers, I, I had PVP people come to me and say, I have this idea. Could this happen? Could this happen? Could this happen? Or it's like, so it's, it, I mean, everybody at Bungie is bursting with great ideas. It's just, um, there's so much going on in their own sort of special area is maybe they don't have the full knowledge of something else that's happening. Mm-hmm. It's like PVP guys would have ideas about an area. It's like, how could this, how could this sort of ambient narrative work? And so you'd sit down and say, okay, what do you got? And one of the most important lessons I learned at ArenaNet was don't say no. Don't just say no. Like your idea sucks. No, (laughs) Um, that's not going to work because of this. One of the best lessons I ever heard was, okay, what if, or yes, but, or yes, but what if we did this? Um, I like ideas one, two, and three, four and five. Could we change it to work like this because of this? And the idea is when you say, you know, this is great. This is constructive. You know, don't just, don't just try to be a gatekeeper and try to, and, and lock people down. It's the idea of, of sharing of the, the creative process. Um, it's, it's best to keep your ego in check because um, everybody wants to be the guy who plants the flag and said, I came up with strawberry flavored Vex. You know, <laughs> you know they want to be that guy. So when people down the line play strawberry or fight strawberry flavored Vex, that guy can go, yeah, I created it. I rock. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Um, so you bring dis- up disclaimer: There is no strawberry cl- flavored Vex, or is there? 
<laughs> well, we'll, well, if we ever find Kaber, we'll ask him what it tasted like. Okay. Uh, so you bring up an interesting thing. I think when a lot of people think about sort of like copy editing and narrative and the story of Destiny, they think almost sort of like the PvE side exclusively. And you just mentioned that you spoke with PvP people. So did you also have a bit of sort of like oversight or insight into uh, not necessarily how the Crucible was developed, but obviously there was a lot of new maps that were introduced uh, um, and continue to be so was that something where the you know and you mentioned this a little bit like the pvp folks would say hey we want to have a stage a crucible map in x how does this fit in that is a that questions along those lines um i mean whenever like pve or pvp people would talk to me it would be something where okay we can sort of work on these ideas but then once you have this idea you have to go and go up the chain and and make sure everything is cool. I had I could not sign off on anything. Oh, I see. But the idea would be I could I was there sort of as a narrative resource, and the idea is if people from outside or inside wanted to come and try to, to hash things out, or it's like I got this idea, and that's a cool. That's one of the great things about Bungie is like anybody could come up to you and say, I have this idea, <laughs> and go through. It's like okay, how would this work, or or. You know how would this how would this sort of fit? Um, I will say, however, I'm I was me and two other writers did come up with a name of a PvP map, Ooh. and that was that was a fantastic moment because we all sort of we all were figuring out you know the lore behind the map and then coming up for the name itself, and that was that was a load of fun. Man, the, the Crucible maps fascinate me uh, from a lore perspective. I'm working on an episode about them. So now, oh, now, yeah. I'm, now I'm even more interested in about, I'm My first guess is Timekeeper, but I'm not going to ask you to confirm or deny anything. It was not Timekeeper. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, it, it was a fantastic time to to go. And, you know, we would, we would go there and the PvP guy would walk us through this map. And you sort of have to, you know, pinch yourself because, like, this map isn't launched yet. We're seeing this map. <laughs> and it's just like, it's kind of being on santa's factory floor and seeing oh, all the awesome. toys for good little girls and boys <laughs> See now, that are being built for christmas upcoming christmas now when when we try to go walk through these maps and just kind of look around people are shooting at us yeah that's, so that's, that's, that's problematic <laughs> it is it is you think you found something cool and you're dead and it's like oh yeah that's like going through a museum and having like you know it's like security's chasing you the whole time. Yeah, zombies are chasing you <laughs> while you're going through like the Tate Museum of Art in London or something. Right, you got to play it in double speed. Yeah. So now, in that instance, was, and again, uh, feel free not to answer anything you think is inappropriate to answer. So you, they, if, do they have the map roughed out first and then you take a look at it and go, oh man, I have a great name for this? Well, uh, the they... The PvP team had access to the narrative team, I'll just oh. say. Oh, all right. Okay. And they would work on that together. I see. And, you know, they would they would sort of figure out, you know, you know, when Shax would say something. I see. Or or what the what the story of this was. Because I think when you, they're carving out a new map, the new map has to fit in the destiny universe yes you know it just can't be you know 
you know, <laughs> you know, Cade's Clown College, you know? <laughs> which would be a like, great map, by the way. It's like, no, guys, this is the, we love your idea. We love the visuals, but this is this is a big ask for lore, you know, and it's it's trying to figure out, you know, and and, you know, a lot of the people that get it is they're they're building it in the aesthetic. And what does this map say? about the greater destiny narrative and figuring out in a way how to say it without saying anything. Uh, it's, it's ambient narrative. It's a yeah. non spoken narrative. Fantastic. Uh, so I want to ask, I'm going to ask this question just because when I was writing it, I'm like, I've, I really hope there's an answer for it because it, it fascinates me, especially given uh, the current state of both these games. So Halo, which you mentioned previously, was developed by Bungie, and it was like a massive, massive thing. Like oh, it, yeah. It sold Xboxes. It sold Xbox 360s. And it became very much a media property mm-hmm. where, you know, there's book tie-ins and there's uh, Forward Until Dawn and there's talks about a movie and it's just a massive property yeah, and, with all and these toys and, and yeah. comics and all that stuff. So when you were brought on board for Destiny, did that did that affect your approach? Does that loom a bit like a shadow? Like, look at this amazing, enormous, successful thing that you have to live up to. Uh, or did, does Destiny live by itself? Where it's like, no, we're going to build this brand new thing. Uh, I- I can't speak for everyone at Bungie, and nor would I want to. Yeah. Um, but coming into it, coming into um, Bungie when I started, I'm not sure. Have you guys ever seen the public entrance to Bungie? Like pictures of it? Yeah. And you know that there's a mural right next to the door that has um, a, a timeline done in sort of a, uh, a half circle mm-hmm. that says all the games that they've made. Right. Yep. Uh, every day I walked past that, and it's one of those. <laughs> uh, it's it's one of those things that filled me with "Don't be a weak link. Don't don't let that down." Yeah. Um, as I said, I grew up playing marathon. I I played morbidly obese amounts of Halo. Uh, <laughs> who didn't? Who? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I, it it is overwhelming to think that this is like the next big chapter in, in what this company is doing. And you go in and at one time it's sort of like excitement and you feel like a five-year-old, like this, you're, you're going to Disneyland, but at the same time, it's a business. It's very much a business. And you want to make sure that whatever you're working on and whatever you're putting out, that you do your damnedest to live up to that and and not let the rest of your team down, not let the rest of the project group down, and not let the rest of the company down. And by proxy, not letting you guys down. Um if you think too much about it, you'll never get anything done. So uh, that's why we all, well, we all listen to music <laughs> or we distracted ourselves somehow or, you know, um, 
Yeah, because we get it. We get that this is the next big thing. And video games, market-wise, you know, is so different than it was five years ago. Oh, it's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and um, you have you have so much time and so many resources being burned on this, and you just you have to not only make something that's amazing, but you have to make something that's amazing that people will keep wanting to play in a media world where there are so many new things coming down the pipe. Um, how do you keep attracting people back? And how do you make something that's going to stand up and last? Um, you, you do your damnedest, and that's all really anybody can ask of you. Fantastic. Uh, do you just by chance have you been keeping up with Halo uh, now that it's transferred over to three four three? Um, I did play. I know a couple of people over there. So, oh, awesome. um, Seattle is it's weird. It's sort of like a um, you know a bunch of people in dip, in a bunch of different uh, studios, and you uh, I, I can't speak again for the royal you yeah. or the royal we, but I try to play all the stuff that's made in this city because I want to support these people because I know that these studios house people that I know and people who I like and people who I may not know, but I respect a hell of a lot. Yeah. So uh, I haven't gotten to play Halo 5 yet because I don't have an Xbox One. Um, but, you know, if should that day ever come, yeah, I will, I will get to Halo, uh, <laughs> Halo 5. I've played might, everything else. Might make that happen. <laughs> I've played everything else but Spartan Assault and Halo Five. Excellent. I was a I was a big ODST fan. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, that was great. Is is weird. I I once upon a time on Twitter I was talking to a few other um, uh, writers, game writers, and game game devs. And we all agreed that ODST was this weird little experiment. It's kind of like, like that that one album that your favorite band does that nobody <laughs> seems to get, but in ten years' time, everybody's just like, "Wow, that was so way ahead of the curve." I'm not sure if how many of you guys out there are Radiohead fans, but this ODST was like it's Kid A. It was <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It, it was this highly experimental follow up to like. Okay, computer, which was Halo Three, and it was like everybody was kind of expecting another Okay, computer, and then all of a sudden, ODST Kid A came out, and it was like, "What the hell is this? <laughs> Where's my new PvP?" You know, I, I know, mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bunch it's... of stuff. Well, I mean, for me, I I didn't play a lot of Halo. The most that I played was co-op with my brother. Oh, that's, uh, yeah. And so Halo has always been a co-op experience for me. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he's very much like action, run and gun. He's a striker titan to the core. Yeah. Uh, so when we played ODST, like the, it felt like things were slowing down. I had a chance to explore. The music was fantastic, like yes. amazingly atmospheric. And there was all the terminals and recordings to find. And it's like, oh, if this is what Halo is, I am into this. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the great thing is they had the guts to do something off kilter. I mean, I, he, 
I, I, no, yeah, I agree. Pink Pale, they, they had pretty much the entire, almost the entire cast of Firefly. Um, they had this, yeah, they had that really weird, um, the sanitation engineer icon <laughs> yep. Yep. That, with, involving the missing girl. Uh, and yeah, and then it was the, I, I don't want to give away the spoiler at the end, but it sets up a really cool hook for a sequel. And it's the, like, hmm? I was going to say the, the, I remember when the, the ODST kind of teaser dropped and the amount of time and energy people put into examining that frame by frame yep. was amazing. I mean, it was just, yeah. that was my first real experience into people diving in that deep into, you know, this, this 30 to 45 second clip and analyzing every little bit. I mean, it was amazing down to the, to the number of, of, you know, little particles that were shooting off the back of the pods that were dropping in. And I mean, just, it was so, so amazing. Just the, the, that people loved it that much. I remember the obsessiveness over the, over the armor. Mm-hmm. Cause the oh, armor yeah. was oh, yeah. different from, from, you know, um, from master chief. Yeah. And it was just, it's like, is this a new master chief? What is this? <laughs> And I got I got to give Bungie so much credit. They they swerved in a way that they could have easily put out like, you know, Master Chief the College Years or you know Saved by the Bell Master Chief, and they would have sold like a gazillion units either way. But they they swerved and they wanted to do something else where it wasn't about Master Chief. It was about a bunch of flesh and blood humans, non augmented humans fighting kind of a losing battle and which kind of set the stage for reach and um that that too i thought was one of the best things that that bungie's ever done because it was just so different and it took us it took a a daring step into another direction as far as the halo universe i mean they could play it they could have played it really safe and just given you something like again Master Chief Kart Racing, but they didn't. They gave you they gave you something different. They yeah, and and you know I think about that. And they could have easily done that, but at the same time, at that point in the in I think in video games, at least console games, they could do no wrong. They could have released. Yeah. They could have went off the wall completely, which they didn't. But you know, ODST was 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 definitely not Master Chief, and it was going to work because they were just. Like you said, drop. They were selling Xboxes. They were selling merchandise. They were yeah. what people wanted, and that's what people were going after, no matter what it was. Yeah. Well, again, like when I was, when I was looking up, you know, researching this this question and sort of the ramifications of it, I remember thinking, man, I remember like Halo was the reason people started lining up for midnight launches. Uh, yeah. Like nobody lined up outside of GameStop before like Halo, and then all of a sudden it's this huge thing. And then I remember, like I remember so distinctly like how well they kept the Arbiter hidden for Halo 2. Like that was a huge thing. Oh my God, the, the Arbiter, like the Yeah, the Arbiter character. Was, was, half, was half the game and yeah. turned out to be, a, that was actually the Arbiter story was a fantastic story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. That was absolutely the reason that I migrated from PlayStation to Xbox. To be honest, I mean, really, I I, <laughs> I sold, I, I sold my, my PlayStation, uh, I guess it was two at the time. Three, three, 
to be able to get a, no two to get a to get an Xbox and got into Halo Two kind of late in the game and then Halo Three came out and I'm like oh gotta gotta upgrade again <laughs> and uh, and just I was I was an Xbox guy after that and even like in the in-game beats like transitioning some of the major villains from like the Covenant towards the Flood mm-hmm. as the more dangerous villain less like so many amazing like story twists and turns and like halo really has set so many precedents that i think are kind of taken for granted now but uh yeah bungie was was trailblazing they were way out ahead doing all this stuff it was kind of awesome uh but getting getting back on track (laughs) (laughs) before this turns into the the halo episode yeah we could keep talking about that sure uh so you uh, you worked on House of Wolves quite a bit. Yeah, I, I, I came on, and I think I mentioned this a bit in the pregame. I came on while it was um, when everybody was, was getting to, to work and, and to get House of Wolves together. It was the big thing. Um, I came on a bit after Dark Below. So okay. House of Wolves was the first thing I really got my hands on. And as I said in, in the pregame, um, it was kind of like you're sitting in a chair and all around you they're building a full-sized airplane. And you get to the point where you're seeing bits put in and bits taken out, reshaped, and plugged back in again. And when release day comes along, boom, before you know it, you're sitting in a fully functioning 747. Um, it, it was really an amazing thing to see going in and and, and being part of the 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 house of wolves meetings and seeing how all the pieces were being put together all the things that were as i said being pulled out refined seeing the artists it's like this is you know this is this animation for scholars and it's like holy crap that's cool (laughs) it's like oh yeah and there's this thing in the house of wolves and maybe they'll find the treasure it's like it's just yeah, it was it was great, and uh, this is, you know, oh, oh, by the way, uh, John, uh, listen to this, listen to this VO. This is for a character called Varix. Yeah. Oh man, and it's just like, oh, okay, cool, and and again, seeing how all the pieces fit together. Uh, what I did that what what I did for House of Wolves is, um, uh, again, all the VO, all the all the text for weapons and everything. All that stuff that came by, just I was I was wrapping my head around the Destiny universe at that moment, so it was just really wild to see all this stuff sort of piling on, going, okay, uh, I'm I'm with you, I'm and I'm just running to keep up, just running, oh man, and uh, yeah, and that was like it was it was an amazing thing when launch day came around. I got it, it somebody came up to me and gave me a House of Wolves dev team shirt, and I was just blown away. Oh, by awesome. That. Yeah, and I was just, this is so cool. Uh, yeah. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little jump in here. We've had somebody else join the call and the cast. So you want to jump in here, uh, Handsome Dragon? Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, welcome. <laughs> yeah, it's been awesome just sitting here listening for the last ten minutes. I'm just like, I feel like a listener. I'm just like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. Every time he stops talking, I'm like, oh, we need another question, and I'm like, I'm just kind of eh, drop. We'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, so keeping keeping on track with House of Man, I wish I wish Beta was here so I could taunt him with Skolas. But, uh, 
does 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 that does does Skalos give him nightmares? Because uh, yeah, well, Quodron gave him nightmares. Oh uh, God, yeah. But but it wasn't until just recently that uh, we went into uh, the prison and took down Skolas. He he never got that for his moments his uh, moments of triumph. But oh no. See, House he, of Wolves came out, and and Beta's probably gonna be upset that I'm saying this, but House of Wolves <laughs> came out. And he like read the lore, and then he was like, "Okay, I'm I'm not interested in this. I'm just gonna take a break." And he did. He just like disappeared for a while, uh, and he came back in the summer and was like, "Okay, I'm ready. Let's do this." <laughs> it's like, "Whoa, wait, what?" I mean, he he hung around in our. He was in the same clan uh, that a few of us were, and he hung around in the in the chat and stuff like that. But he just wasn't online. He was playing other games, getting caught up on things and life and everything else. But uh, but yeah, here like what was it? It was just I think we talked about it a couple podcasts ago that you guys had just went in and. And did some some prison, which was pretty awesome. Made me want to go back. Yeah, yeah. The, the first time I got to play prison on the inside was just. I'm gonna be so bad at this, but it's gonna be so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> My clan at the time was only three people, including myself. So I was. We were so hyped up for prison because it was the first time we were getting like serious three-man content that's going to be excruciatingly challenging and that's exactly what we lived for in destiny so we're really happy about it yeah and yeah. i feel like there's a lot of different experiences out there i mean on one hand you had the okay i got a team of three and we're all just going to use gallahorn for every person on the map <laughs> and it made it a lot easier but but my, my my brother and then one of my best friends that i always play with and Neither of them got Gallahorn in year one until Zer sold it like that last week before. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I always had to, you know, experience the raids, skull loss. <laughs> the way they were Coltron, intended. Yeah. With that, how, yeah, exactly. Just how they were intended. They were fighting. And I always thought that was more fun. You know, it's, it's always nice just to go in there and 10 minutes or 20 seconds kill skull loss. But that's not, that's not how the fight was in, intended. And I always enjoyed it actually doing it the way that the mechanics played it out and i thought getting the experiences on that was was interesting so then you mentioned like you mentioned previously skolas and varix uh but house of wolves introduced a ton of vo work like tons of new characters like the reef opened up and we have varix and petra and mara sob and we have Skolas speaking, you know, in Fallen a lot, and then Varix is our translator. Right. And like we're going all these different places. We're being introduced to all the different houses of the Fallen. There's a significant expansion in terms of story and lore and characters. Did, yeah. Did were you, were you sort of like overseeing like I, all this stuff? Like <laughs> I was I was sitting in on it, and I was you know working. I not working like I was watching over, but. I was sort of in a larger amorphous group as writers were putting together, um, working with the senior story editor to put together more about the fallen and to try to give them more of a sense of what they were. Mm -hmm. And like I, in the beginning we, everybody kind of got this feel that the the fallen were the dudes you first shot up as you, as you became, (laughs) Uh, you went from kindergarten to something bigger, right? And it was just like fodder. It's like, oh, wait, I got to get 20 headshots for a bounty this week. Oh, going to go to the Cosmotron. <laughs> going to shoot some falling in the head. And so you, so what House of Wolves did, I thought, was sort of flip the script and tell the story about these great houses and 
why they were after uh, what they were after. Uh, and, you know, Bungie and the writers and the narrative team in general ex expand upon that, but you kind of get this sense of, of in, in more personal stories like Varric's, if you go through the Grimoire, <coughs> mm -hmm. and, you, and you see, you know, he's the only member of the House of Judgment. So for all you know, he's the only one there. And that's kind of a sad thing, yeah. that he's the only one who holds his banner. Um, and the, the, there's a bit, and I forget exactly which Grimoire card is it, but there's this, there's this scene, I believe, between Varric's and Skolas. I believe when Skolas is getting is being pulled out of his cryopod, mm -hmm. just beautiful small moments like that, where you see the fallen aren't just cannon fodder, but they were a mighty space fair, faring race who have fallen hard to be basically these scavenger bugs. Um, Petra, we had met before that as part of the Queen's Emissary. Yes. But Petra, you kind of had now more of a who this person is. And you were allowed to go to the reef, but it's not like you were having an audience with the Queen again. There's always sort of this, you know, I'm allowing you to come in, but you are still at arm's length. And I thought that did a really good job of, of extending the alienness of the Awoken. Um... Even if you were awoken, you were earth awoken. Yes. You weren't reef awoken. So there's little bits more that we got to see before uh, the tragedy that happened in Taken King. And uh, yeah, there, there it seems, I always get a hint of sadness about the reef and about the awoken. Uh, and I, I think that the writers uh, did a fantastic job uh, building out the reef which was kind of an alien mysterious place and the fallen who could have just been you know cardboard you know targets yeah there was something more there i think one thing that house of wolves definitely did was and just as you said we we start to get a sense of sort of sympathy uh and even like a shared empathy with the fallen uh you know we learn so much about their backstory uh, we learn about their connection to the traveler and they start to, sh again, like you said, they start to turn from this like generic minions of darkness to they're not, they're not minions of the darkness. They're like, they're their own culture and race. And they've, they've in a way experienced what we're experiencing now and are trying to recapture that. And yeah, this long history. And even like some of the, a lot of the grimoire like outlines things like the reef wars or the mm -hmm. maraid and like there's, there's so much packed in there. Uh, it's an amazing yeah. job of fleshing out the fallen. Yeah. And, and the, and the idea of, you know, the queen stepping in when she stepped in and playing her as, you know, her own motive and her own, you know, this is, you know, this is what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. I am an ally, but not a friend. It's mm -hmm. you, there. You get the idea of there's there's not naivete at work. Uh, there there is this ruthless pragmatism going oh, on. Oh yeah. At least that's that's how I approached it. <laughs> that's that's how I saw it. Uh, and I always thought it was interesting, especially in the core game, 
when your guardian goes to the reef to meet with the queen about the black garden and you know you meet you meet prince aldrin mm-hmm. and then out from the shadows are two fallen and immediately everything in your brain says fallen equals bad please shoot in the head and then the <laughs> twist is when you see the queen there it's just like these are my fallen yeah. and it's like there's a bigger story here yeah and in I that, love that line and then it's like when the reef is open it's an invitation to go get a little bit more of that um yeah and also i just gotta say man ferrix so good <laughs> um <laughs> poor guy yeah and it's interesting because he's kind of you get the sense that not he's the last of his kind so to speak but there was something else there was some greatness about it i always get the feeling and i never had this confirmed but i always had the feeling like he is a guy when you hear stories about people who come over in their homeland they were a doctor or a lawyer or something and now in this country they drive a cab and they they've they have memories of greatness yeah we had mentioned that he might be the almighty janitor trope (laughs) (laughs) and it's and and after after the calamity that happened in uh, in Taken King, you know, the reef lost so much. Yeah. And Petra is doing what she can, and Varix is, you know, closer to Petra. And there's there's this sense of, of the line that, you know, there's family that you're born into, and then there's family that you choose. And I thought that's a really cool... Thing that we can see not only in the reef but also uh, at the tower with you and your fellow guardians that your old way of life was one thing but this is your new way of life yeah. and what are you going to do with it so I'm eager to see what happens even though I'm gone from Munchie I'm very <laughs> eager to see what's going to happen with characters like Petra and Varix and the reef itself Varix, Kellekels <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm gonna I, call it here. <laughs> I I don't I don't see him taking a pay cut to be Kel Kells, to be quite <laughs> honest. But that's not up to me. I see him, you know, um, being more crafty than that. Because when you're Kel Kells, you get a big old target on your back. I guess that's true. So did you did you also help flesh out the Reef War story that appears in the Grimoire? Uh, the Reef War story, um, it was. Did I work on that? I know one writer who did definitely work on that, and I thought she did a great job. Uh, I eventually worked with her to try to um, get sort of a, a, a timeline together, but she uh, she was the one who really took point on that, and hopefully awesome. you'll be able to get her on the show one day. <laughs> that would be, uh, be fantastic. Because um, she, she did such a fantastic job on that. Uh, filling out um, why the queen did what they did and all the people who who fought and died during the reforce which uh, yeah it was all sort of taking place and we didn't know about it yeah uh, which I think which shows sort of a, a, a cool 
oh god cool awesomeness should not be like a connection <laughs> here but this 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 sense of the reef is such a hard fought place there are massive conflicts that took place here that you don't even know about that were done out of our knowledge and then you stumble across them and it's like oh we're not gonna be that cool to the reef they've seen worse <laughs> that was one of the great things about house of wolves as it's sort of as a we're getting involved a bit in someone else's story mm -hmm. you know the House of Wolves and the Rebellion very much affected the Reef and the Queen and life there. And we're sort of called in, like, and we're doing a favor, like the, the Queen's calling in her favor to us. Right. So we're really, like, taking a, not an auxiliary role in this story, but we're sort of along for the ride of that. And it sort of helped blow the world up. It made it so much bigger. Like, there's all these conflicts that are happening that we, we didn't even know about, and suddenly we're getting pulled into them. And it, it really did a, a great job of of making the universe seem so much bigger that these things are happening way, like this doesn't concern the tower. This doesn't concern the, the battle between light and dark. As far as we know, like these huge themes were introduced to in vanilla destiny and even in the dark below, uh, which happens, you know, very much on our moon. This is an isolated incident that happened in the past directly concerning the tower and previous guardians and things like that. But house of wolves is very much like we're getting pulled into somebody else's war and it's, you get this idea that all oh, this is happening out in space. And, you know, if the queen had never called in her favor, would we even know about it? Yeah, well, not only that, but would would Scalus have gotten away with what he gotten away with? Because we we know that Scalus was up to something all throughout the Ark of House, House of Wolves. But mm -hmm. if, if the queen didn't call in the favor, would Scalus have pulled it off? And lucky for us, you know, we we figured out that oh that wacky scholars using that time travel technology uh, uh, there's a, there's a whole the nine and zero connection in there too that, yeah that, that didn't and, sneak by us yeah that yeah there's there was something else at play and i i can't comment about any of, of that but of um I, I mean personally i feel like scholars got played i think that they somebody went up to him and said hey you you're you're gonna do great things you're the Kella Kells. why don't go manifest destiny and he sort of did not realize that he was sort of he was playing a role that whole time that he may not have been explicitly aware that he was yeah and it again it's it's sort of when you go back and you look at you know grimoire or you go back and you play through it and you think about what's been happening you know that, that's one of the interesting things is what this story is at that moment and wondering if there's going to be repercussions down the line yeah. um yeah. So I again, this is at a point where <laughs> I can't say anything because I course. don't want I don't want Deej to crush my head. He <laughs> <laughs> crush my head like you know, squishing your head, you know, yes. stuff like that. So, um, and also, uh, who knows what's who knows what's going to happen. Um, well, and a lot I guess of you guys. Oh, gonna, I'm sorry. No, no. I was going to say a lot of things change as as stories go along. We had that big. Uh, Kotaku leaked article that came out that said, you know, here's the the destiny story that we should have gotten, and and it and gave kind of the whole reason it changed and backstory and stuff like that. So, did you see much of that kind of go on as you were were kind of working with things that that it's like, okay, we need to to stop and and look at this from a different direction, or was all that stuff kind of already 
fleshed out and, and just just already outlined and it was just a matter of, of kind of tweaking things well you got to understand something a, a universal law of, of software development if you guys are already in software development you already know probably what I'm gonna say but it ex- it extends mightily to game development is that all game development is chaos until proven otherwise <laughs> so you have always until it's done so many moving parts of you know what the game is going to be, what the story is going to be, what the art's going to be, what the audio is going to be, what the music is going to be, all these other bits that are just sort of happening in a giant river that's rushing by. And in that river, and this is a tortured metaphor, <laughs> you're pulling out different bits and throwing different stuff back and rewriting and redesigning and rearting. And maybe all of a sudden you can't do something because of technical limitations. Um, the product is just being molded and shaped as it's going. And sometimes you can't fit something in because scope won't allow you to reach the deadline. So that gets pulled out mm-hmm. or something else gets pulled in because they fig- they figured out how to make something work. So it's like, yeah, okay, we can actually include it in this release and boom, that gets put in and that has to be molded to make sure it, it makes sense so many moving parts to go into it there's never there's never a day where it's like everything is going to plan because <laughs> the moment you say that you don't want to look behind you because that means the studio is caught on fire <laughs> you don't want to risk that bad luck so yeah. um there's uh, from the different experiences i've had in studios is we have an idea of where it's going to go but if something comes up along the way for good or ill we have to keep our minds open. But keep in mind, at some point, the box closes, and you can't make any more substantial changes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, send, send it out for cert, and then... Yeah, well, <laughs> make sure QA bangs on it until it squeaks. <laughs> um, get to that zero bug count. Um, yeah, good, make, good luck. Yeah. Make, make, Is that a that thing? Zero bug. We try. Uh, yeah, all the time. You you aim for that. You make sure it's squeaky clean. Your QA beats on it. Um, yeah, get it to cert. Get it out the door. Yeah, that that's always been since that that article. Uh, it's always been one of my pet peeves that that people use that to try to justify things that are happening now. And it's like you know, we've got what we got in front of us, and that's what we need to focus on. And and you can't as much as as it's appealing to say, ooh, yeah, now we can we can take all of this this leaked information and, and add it into what we have to get the full story. No, no, we we can't because you know, it didn't it may have never made the the off the cutting room floor cut. and yeah. And and it might be something that they're holding back off for, for later down the road. And so we've gotta, you know, kind of keep our blinders on to to keep us to keep us focused yeah. on what's in front of us at this moment. I I, I will say that um, when you when you put together a piece of software, whether it be like a spreadsheet application or a game, or or whatever along the lines is, everything is in a constant state of flux, mm-hmm. and you have to go with what you can reasonably pull off in a certain amount of time to get it out the door. And what can you, what can you do in scope that would be the best thing that you can do and most entertaining to everybody? Yeah. Um, 
yeah, there, there are, I've been at different studios where I've seen this and I've had it happen to me where something would just get hard cut or something would just be, this is not going to make it to the finish line. Let's keep this and see if we can do something with it later. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've also worked in, in game development studios where, you know, if the publisher sets a date and they want you to hit that date for whatever reasons they have, it's like you hit that date. So yes, you, you, you work on the features that are sort of like the best possible features and you make sure there's no game crashing debilitating bugs and and you get it out the door and you hope it's well received and then you, you try to fix what you can in the background <laughs> yeah game game design is and again ex- extending to um software development is compromise and and working toward completion yeah doing ideally doing the best you can in that finite window that you can as i said the box closes at one point and you got to make sure everything in the box works you can't add any more you can't take away anything else it has to go out the way it is and hopefully the way it is is as clean and as bug-free as possible and as a, a, a useful entertaining experience so speaking of things getting out the door uh you want me to leave, don't you? Okay. No, no. Well, 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 I was going to say, so so in what ship? So so House of Wolves ships, it hits, uh, and you've sort of watched it from the inside. Uh, how did you, were you there when it sort of went live and everybody started playing? And were, did you have visibility to the reactions and what people loved and what people didn't love? And um, When it went live, the funny thing is um, I was already uh, hip deep in Taken King at that point. Oh. So it was just like, oh, House of Wolves launched? <laughs> <laughs> it must have. I have this T-shirt. <laughs> um, no, it was it was just one of those. It was like, holy crap! Oh yeah, that thing I worked on it it launched. It's awesome. And saw people playing it. Saw people getting into the prison. Um, saw people. Well, I didn't see people, but I, I read reactions to people who. <sighs> Taking on Scalus, hopping across the time cubes, <laughs> trying to get to Scalus. Um, yeah, and I mean, it was, it was, it was a weird thing. It's always a weird sort of out of body experience to have when you are making a game, and it goes from something that you're working on, sometimes very feverishly until the end, and then it goes live, and the world is playing it, mm-hmm. and you're like. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> are you having fun, folks? And it turns out, yeah. I mean, people at that point. I mean, uh, I won't say anything about the, the the Destiny Core campaign, but everybody knows, like the the, the criticisms and the praises that it got, yeah. right? Well, I felt that was kind of a step in the like kind of in the direction that we're at now. Like, it yeah, went, like and, you could definitely see the advancements in the the storytelling within the campaign right like definitely it was leaps and bounds above the vanilla destiny and, right and it but, was sort of like vanilla destiny was was where you know was sort of the baseline and then mm-hmm. there's this little tiny stair step up for dark below and there's a bigger stair step up for house of wolves and people were, were starting to get that and it was just like yes okay people are having fun mm-hmm. people get that on a narrative level you know, we're standing up and we're moving forward. 
and mm-hmm. that was that was a refreshing thing at least for me because it's just like man there's some so many great ideas and, and so much you know cool narrative stuff that's churning over there that it's great to see people turn around and say yeah this is cool I mean, no matter what you do in in the industry, when you see when you see it's like if you're an artist and you see people love your art, it's like yeah, this is cool, and it's like you feel like you're moving in the right direction. Trust and, me, we're we're feeling that now. It's it's, <laughs> I mean, it's really. I think when we started this, it was more of just a hey, let's let's do this for us and and have a little fun with it. And when we realized how many people are really enjoying the discussions we've had and and tuning in, it's it's just kind of. Like I said, it makes me smile every day when I look to see how many how many views we had or how many listens we had overnight, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's just so humbling too at the same time. Mm-hmm. But then one of my favorite things about you know kind of that started in House of Wolves too, and we kind of touched on it earlier. Drop was mentioning about you know you start getting that empathy for the the enemy almost, and yeah. then that builds even more. Mm-hmm. You know, than in the Taken King with the Books of Sorrow when you read and you know, we've talked about it in the in our episodes where we cover those. So it's, you almost, there's parts where you feel bad for Oryx and, and his sisters. And you're like, you can see that almost the, the human side of their, their suffering. And it's, it's easy to look at the game and just be like, Oh, these bad guys, bad aliens, kill them. <laughs> there's no good in them or nothing about them that has redeeming qualities. But then you, when you really read the, the lore and the grimoire and the stories behind it, you, there are parts where it kind of draws them back and it gives you that, that empathy towards them. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, and it's something that made because you know recently Alan Rickman, um, the actor, passed. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he's you know famous for saying you know no, no villain woke up and ever said I'm going to do evil today, you know, <laughs> um, and that's how Alan Rickman played bad guys. It wasn't you know Snape wasn't going to be I'm going to be really mean to Harry Potter today. It mm-hmm. was the idea that you know Snape had his own justification for things in Snape's right. mind he's the hero of the story yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and you know Oryx had you know Oryx and Oryx's sisters had their own reasons for doing what they did and mm-hmm. when you can when you can read that and experience that or get a feel for that like when you in, in Taken King when you get a sense of when you're on the dreadnought this isn't just a cobbled together collection of rooms. This is a sort of a, a, a war church yeah. of, of domination. And you kind of get the sense of this is who this being is. And this is how this being had to survive for God knows how long. And it gives you a sense of through ambient narrative, what you're really up against. And makes you scared to turn the corner because you don't know what's going <laughs> to yeah. be there. And we even get that, we get that sense with Skolas too, where like he, he's not the bad guy. He's fulfilling a prophecy and he's, right. he's reuniting the fallen. He's bringing everybody back under one house. Like he's, they've been, they've been fallen and lost for so long. Like this is, this is his chance to, to bring everyone sort of back together and bring the fallen back to greatness. Yeah, and again, Scalas didn't wake up and say, I'm going to be evil today. Yeah. Scalas, yeah, Scalas wants to make sure his his race doesn't go into that good night. Yeah, he wants to be the hero for his people. Right, and, you know, 
who doesn't want to be that? It's one of the oldest myths is being the hero of the people. So of, of everything that you've either worked on or not in the, in the game, if you could just reach out and touch one thing and say, this is what I enjoy the most about the story, what would that be? Uh, for Destiny, let me think. I know it's a tough one. Oh, Because <laughs> yeah. we've got so many. We've heard, we we asked that a lot of, of just, I asked it a lot of just people in chat and things like that. And, and you know, it's, it's anymore. I think, uh, I think Scooby DZ, one of our other uh, members of the podcast, in one of our first episodes, his flavor of the week kind of answer to that question has really flipped people's perception of what they liked and disliked. It's not like they don't like stuff as much, but whatever kind of the, the new hot topic is, is what he wants to get into to learn more about. Um, but you being kind of, of on the, the, in the, in the trenches to some degree, uh, you know, I, I figured that might be a little different if it, if it was something that you've worked on with other people that had more maybe a deep meaning for you. Um, one of the things that, you know, the writers would come down every so often and just talk or just sort of, you know, try to try to, to figure out a problem. And, and one of the things um, is one of the writers came down and we were talking about the uh, cinematics or the... Um, the bit when you go off and you you pick your own your your new subclass, um, in in Taken King. Oh yeah, those three the three intros to the new yeah. subclasses were brilliant. And, and one of the things that 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 we were talking about was, you know, figuring out, you know, what does it mean to be a hunter? What does it mean to be a titan? What does it mean to be a warlock? And that was one of the questions I brought up with the writer was we never really ask that. It's like, what does it mean? And we, you, you wake up, you're resurrected in the ruins of the Cosmodrome. But before that, you just sort of pick, you know, I'm going to, today I am a Titan. Today I, I am a hunter. Today I am a warlock. And you go off and you say, um, this is what, you know, you, you become this thing. But when we had the actors, you know, when we when we had Ikora, when, when we had Zavala, when we had Cade, in their own voices say what it means to be that profession. You know, I played maybe a little microscopic piece in that, just sort of talking about it, back and forth <laughs> like that with the writer. Because it was the writers who really brought that to life. But it was just asking that question, that, that sort of orienting moment, where you could feel like Nathan Fillion putting your hand on your shoulder and saying, Son, this is what it means to go out into the wilds, and that—that's the bit where I'm—I'm I'm so happy to have just play a small part in that collaborative moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and hearing hearing that VO come back, and listening to Lance Reddick or Gina Torres or Nathan Fillion say these things was just just blew me away. <laughs> Especially That's Lance Riddick. I mean, Lance Riddick could oh read like gosh. a Chinese menu. <laughs> He's and great. Just be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those cutscenes are, are fantastic. The the delivery, the dialogue, the images on screen, everything about him like, just gets you so excited for, 
for the class you've mm-hmm. chosen. Yeah, and it, it's it's the heart, and it makes you feel like you're on your own journey. It's you're going to go off and be this thing that few people can be. You're gonna go. You're gonna take a step away, deeper. I guess outside of your comfort zone, and in that in that journey to become legend, you are now doing something that you didn't think you could. But at the same time, as you're going further out, you're getting closer to that core concept about what does it mean to be a hunter? What does it mean to be a titan? What does it mean to be a warlock? And the gravity of that, I always thought, was the most beautiful thing that the story grows even when you think you know everything and that's your story that's growing and that's a hell of a thing yeah so to uh to any of our listeners who haven't had the opportunity or the time to to experience any of the other classes or subclasses some of the new ones you really need to do it i mean there is you know i'm a hunter at heart but man to to hear about the sunbreakers and just like like you said, just to hear it in the words of the vanguard is just it's it's pretty moving. It's pretty pretty great. It's funny. I'm a hunter at heart, but Gina Taurus and the warlock one oh, always yeah sticks with me for like just the the description of of what it means to what power is and then how to be a conduit for power and then how to be like sort of the question and the answer at the same time. Just, yeah. See, and, see all these hunters, they're you know, drawn into the warlocks. You know, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, there is a great, there's a great moment about, you know, I think Gina Torres, and this is probably my interpretation of the read, but the idea is, you know, maybe the power will keep you alive. Maybe it won't. <laughs> this is what it means to be a warlock. Have fun. <laughs> Awesome. And I can I could probably say one my least favorite thing about the Taken King hmm. is that those missions aren't replayable. Oh yeah, so oh. I can't get that. Like I I went in there because on my I did my Warlock first, then my Titan, and then I did the, my uh, my Night Stalker. And something I got distracted when I when, when I was doing my Night Stalker, and I I, I think my daughter woke up or something, and I kind of left the room for a minute. I came back, and it was at the end of that dialogue, and I was like, oh no, I missed it. And then there was no way for me to go back, and you know, I could probably go on YouTube or something. I'm sure there's something, but yeah, well, but the it's hunter, not your experience. Exactly. The hunter one, though, the hunter one's interesting because we get introduced to this new character. We get introduced to mm-hmm. Tevis Larson, mm-hmm. uh, and we learn in a very short period of time a bunch of new things about being a hunter, being a guardian, the fact that he decided to like strike out on his own like he didn't care about the traveler or the speaker he was going to do his own thing but he still kept in touch with Kate and in a very short period of time we're introduced to this awesome character who's presented these great concepts and then it spoiler alert he's dead (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then we have to pick up that legacy and I think you know I play Night Stalker almost exclusively and I think and I wear Graviton Forfeit almost exclusively which has a quote by Tevis uh, in the description and I always think to myself, like, I, I, I owe this, like, I, I feel this sense of owing something to Tevis, like, in how I play Night Stalker, like, especially because I am in a very small clan, and we, we're very close-knit, and we tackle all the story missions together, we run the raids together, we do the strikes together, like, I have, a, I have something I have to live up to in doing that. Yeah, and I, I think 
part of that, at least when when I heard it and I played it, because you know, Hunter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is um, not just you know Tevis's reaction or Tevis, you know, giving his all, giving his last full measure, was um, Cade's reaction. Yeah, and and hearing about the 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 between the lines that this is Cade doesn't make many friends, but this is one of them, and you picking up Tevis's legacy is a way to keep that memory alive for Cade. And you get a sense that even in those few lines, Cade's lost a lot. And when somebody, when one of the, there's fewer people left in his life, you do the honor of making sure that Tevis is gone but not forgotten. And as a hunter, that that made me feel closer to Cade. And I think anytime you can get closer to your mentor, there's a lot more of a there's a lot more of an emotional connection as, a, as a, for me as a player i don't know about for you guys absolutely well and if you i mean you know on this podcast we dive into like a lot of the lore and and theories and history here you know cade's had a pretty rough ride to get mm-hmm. where he is uh and he does like in the course of the taken king like he calls us you know his his greatest success story uh He's super proud of how far that we have come as a guardian. And for somebody who sort of like was not tricked, but basically lost a bet to be the vanguard, you know, is doing something he doesn't necessarily want to do. That was born out of losing his best friend. And then he loses Tevis in the middle of <laughs> taking King. It's like, we there's a, a closer, there's like a buddy, a buddy connection on the hunter side that may not necessarily be present with Titans or Warlocks that, that gives a sense of like, there's a, a a personal a personal connection for hunters, especially with Cade. Yeah, it's it it the the sense of loss is because because hunters lead a vagabond life. You get the impression, yeah, and you get the sense that when a hunter falls in the wilds, there will not be like solemn funerals that titans or warlocks might have. Yeah. Um, it's more of a close knit sitting around a fire. Or sitting in a bar, uh, drinking way too much late at night, and remembering the fallen—not the fallen as the fallen, <laughs> lowercase <laughs> f. Yeah. And see, this is why we got to be careful with words. But um, remembering those who have gone uh, into that good night, and people who you will never see again, and people who may have cheated at cards and may have bored you with their war stories one too many times, but when they're not there around the fire that vacancy feels a lot more. Yeah. Feels a lot heavier. It's when, when hunters wear the vermilion stripe. Exactly. It is a it is a promise. Indeed. Well, all right, yeah. That's right. Hunters. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I mean we've we don't want to keep you too long as much as we want to keep talking, but I guess you know one of the one of the last things we kind of want to ask is we've got a lot of listeners who create content uh, out of out of the sheer love of the game and, and other things in their lives, and they write fan fiction and they they just artists and and I mean do you have any any kind of of <laughs> words of wisdom from having been in the in the kind of 
world for not in the world but in the in the video game industry for for a long time uh you know how can they what what kind of of i guess advice do you have to to maybe pass on um for people who do you know like everything from just you know line drawings to you know doodles on napkins to like full out cosplay like one-to-one cosplay um you're all amazing and i don't have any advice to give you (laughs) except keep being except you have no idea what it means for game creators to especially like when you walk around something like pax oh it's amazing you see like a hunter a warlock and and a titan pass you by and you look at them like i was part of a larger more talented team who created that and this seeing their embodiment of that is like the total expression that this game has such an impact on me and you have no idea what that means to us it words kind of fail at this point to see all that devotion um again for me i i when i worked at bungie i just hoped i didn't let anybody down i hope i wasn't that weak link i hope that i helped make something great and to see fans do it you feel that even more because again there are like a million billion other things you could be watching or reading (laughs) or doing or experiencing there's so many um different games out there so many different tv shows so many other fandoms that you guys gravitated toward this is just jaw-dropping. I, I feel like me and X-Ray share a similar feeling every time we get on the show. It's just like, okay, don't say something stupid in front of Drop Slash or Beta. Sorry, don't embarrass yourself. Um, as, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're asking for advice about getting into the industry, that's an entirely different thing. Um, I, I think if you're going to be an artist... Are you gonna do like character modeling and you're already doing drawing and cosplay type stuff man you you are a walking portfolio and you're awesome uh if you're doing writing uh i would recommend you uh write as much as you can read as much as you can if you're going into game writing it wouldn't hurt to learn some design because writing jobs are not all that common and it helps for you to understand the basics of design and to understand when you're writing narrative or creating narrative, it has to fit within the nuts and bolts of the design tools that you have. Um, so you understand what it means if you're going to script something and say the Unreal Engine or Unity or whatever tools that your studio is going to be using. Um, and don't give up. Do what you want to do. And also, if you're starting out, make your own game. There's Twine. There are, you know, RPG makers. There's um, so many different tools out there right now. I mean, I, man, I grew up in like the Stone Age of games. <laughs> and seeing all these engines that are now for free, whew, man, there's there's some kid right now somewhere in somewhere in the world, whether it be like. Minneapolis or Manila or wherever, uh, he or she is sitting in the bedroom and they're coming up with the next Minecraft or the next Undertale or the next 
Wolfenstein 3D. Um, they're coming up with something that's going to you know, change the world. And you can do that too. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, all right. Man, I, I'm, I'll chime in. Man, cosplayers are awesome. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, as somebody who's, like, I used to be an event person. I worked in the video game industry mostly producing events like PAX and E3 and things like that. Man, I don't know how cosplayers do what they do, but it's awesome. Yeah, I was, when I worked at ArenaNet, I was in Cologne, Germany for uh, Gamescom, mm -hmm. which is like the biggest convention in continental Europe. Yeah, it's, it's just, crazy. It's staggering. And there were people there in like full cosplay f for like all the days there. And we had, we had cosplay people like dressed up in like Guild Wars 2 stuff cosplay come up to us and it was just like, I don't know. And I don't, I don't mean to say like to be weird, but it's like you're at a level of fandom where I work on the game and I, I don't know how to communicate with you because I feel like I have to be dressed up now because you, you've taken it to such a level that I'm standing here in jeans and a shirt and you're dressed up like a sentient plant person or an eight foot tall, you know, cat warrior. And I'm like, I, I have, you should have my job at this point. You're, you, you've taken this to such a level where I, can I have your autograph? You know, why are you asking me for my autograph? It's, it's, it's so amazing. And, um, I, I, yeah, there are people who are cosplay who are just, who, who make a, who make a living at it. I'm just, who, again, I go back to the one-to-one -one scale uh, Guardians. And there's one I saw, it was like Hunter, Warlock, Titan, Zur. <laughs> <laughs> and even down to like the, the sort of tentacles coming out from underneath the mask. And it was just like, wow, dude, please tell me you took the bus to get here because that had to be a great story. Um, but yeah, um, to see that sort of personification of fandom like that's just amazing. Um, I, yeah, I, oh, it is an amazing industry that we are in. Well, all right. I think that, man, this, this turned into like a two hour interview. That's kind of awesome. Um, yeah. I'm sorry if, if I rambled or if no, I didn't. No, no, it's, it's fantastic. Is... I think we're more concerned about, about keeping you too long. This oh, is no, pretty you're... much a normal time for our episodes. <laughs> so we get, we tend to ramble a bit. So originally I was going to ask one last question. Uh, the one I had here was about Toland, but oh, okay, because it also didn't come up in the course of the conversation. I want to ask if you know who wrote the, uh, the Petra line at the very beginning where she says, yesterday I was delivering paperwork today. I'm delivering explosions. <laughs> I think I know. I, I might know like it, the, the, I have the candidates down to one or two people. I don't know exactly <laughs> who did it though. Uh, that line set the pace for so much of House of Wolves, and it it in, not only it endeared me to Petra, but you know, uh, in my clan, one of the players is my brother, and he is the exact opposite of me. Doesn't care about story, doesn't care about lore, doesn't want to read. 
point him in the direction of things he needs to shoot or punch. <laughs> yeah. But when he, he heard that line, he was like, that was awesome. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm bought in now 100%. This is going to be a fun ride. Yeah, and at that point, you just want to, you know, click on Hell's Bells by ACDC and just go to work. <laughs> yeah, the, the moments of like that, yeah. But you said you had a question about Toland. Oh, yeah. My, well, my original question was, was Toland really no fun at parties? Because he seems like a such stable, jovial fellow. You see, here's the, I, you know, I think depending on what parties you go to, I think Toland could be a blast. Yeah. See, yeah. that was our, that was always all our, our uh, decision on that too. And you know, if you read all his comments and the things he says in these grimoire cards, like I think he'd be a lot of fun if you took him <laughs> to the right party. Exactly. <laughs> there's there's a line I think in one of the later Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books, where one of the characters stumbled across something that it was silent as a tomb or silent as a crypt. And then he corrected himself and said, no, he's been to some awesome parties at a crypt. <laughs> so really, it comes down to a Tolan would totally fit in at, at one of those parties. I think, um, yeah, it, it, I don't see, I don't see Tolan listening to, uh, to Taylor Swift. No. Maybe he does. Who knows? Uh, no, no Miley. It, no Miley. But, you know, I think, you know, Tolan's sitting there, you know, listening to Bauhaus, listening yeah. to mm-hmm. Susie Sue. Little you bit know, of Sisters of Mercy. Yeah, Tolan's being Tolan. And then Osiris flies in with the rest of the jocks and ruins the party. <laughs> yeah. Flips books, pants him, flies off. <laughs> See, this is the stuff that's happening when you're, you know, you're going off and shooting. There's like, I, I, can, I can imagine it as sort of like Destiny High School. And then you've got Fen Church Everest just kind of like, oh, I got to go sneaking out the back door. Yeah, I yeah. know. I'm I'm off treasure hunting or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. uh. Church is like the 21 year old who bought everybody alcohol right. for the party. Like, oh, I gotta yes. go. The cops are coming. <laughs> yeah, he, he he tells about this really cool girlfriend he has in Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, man, there there's so much like there's so much to touch on. Like we've, in a way, like we've been really lucky over the past course, like the past six months with destiny where we've just got so much new content given to us and there's a, dif- a difference between like content gameplay wise and content in terms of characters and stories and all these little divergent threads everywhere people like fenchurch uh there's so much more digging to do it's like you could probably go on talking about <laughs> all these divergent narrative threads forever right and and um again i can't say about where those threads lead but um all I can say is wait and see. Because I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat as you guys are now since I'm no longer a bungee. I am now waiting and seeing. Well, if you ever want to come back on the show and talk about it, no. you're more than welcome. <laughs> I, I, would, I would love to, but I don't. <laughs> one of the cardinal sins in this industry is to blow a reveal. And I'm never going to do that uh, to, all right. to Bungie. Those, there are so many amazing, talented people, so many people I've been fortunate to, to work with. And um, I'm sure they're going to do amazing stuff for this year. And I believe the, the, there's a recent article that said they have a big content drop this year. And then mm-hmm. something in 2017. Yeah. 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 So there'll be a spring update, which we're hoping... We'll include some some lore as well, and then big update sometime later this year, and then Destiny 2 2017. So. Yep. 
and I will be I will be there uh, in the audience like the rest of you guys. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're pretty uh, excited. Uh, yeah, so I'm I again. There are so many amazing people over there working as hard as they can, and I'm sure it's going to be awesome. That timeline's helpful for us because now we know we have until 2017 to get all the big stories out of the way. <laughs> right, we've got a, we've still got a lot to cover, and and you know, that that invitation was actually I think sincere. I mean. Down the road, you know, we, we've got other stuff we're going to talk about, and we might uh, tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you want to come back and, and talk a little more about about stuff that's that you're doing and get an update from you and, and your world and and maybe discuss a little bit of, bit of Fallen? I mean, I just, I love listening to you talk about the the Fallen and just, just what, what your kind of feelings are. It's, it's so... So interesting, yeah, and, and and that is a good good way to put it. Those those are my feelings about it. I'm not yeah. speaking officially for anything. It's sort oh of, yeah, yeah. As as a player, this that's kind of insights that I had and stuff that I've been struck by. So, uh, yeah, and I hope you guys, uh, man, I there's so many great people over there. I I I can imagine. I hope finger, fingers crossed that you'll land guests inside the tower. Ooh, <laughs> that, yeah. that would be amazing but i don't we're we're, uh, we're just happy to, to to be doing what we're doing and and getting the opportunity to talk to people like you right now and and just thinking of how to top this is going to be tough uh for us well, so i'm not sure if you guys have seen it but um there is an article up at Polygon right now that might be of your interest and uh, that's all i'm going to say oh I, I think i shared it in our uh in our chat actually so I'm, okay never mind. <laughs> i'm pretty excited about it it's okay interesting yeah. so that's you know who knows um as as always you know game the game is in development and mm-hmm. um we'll all find out together at some point yeah well i think this it. is something like this was something we wanted to do because i mean the characters in the game you know the deej cosmo they their names get out there luke smith but a lot of times the writers, the artists, the designers, like no one, not a lot of people really take the time to hear that story. And so we're, we're honored that you were able to come on in here and talk with us about it. I'm thank you guys so much for inviting me. This has been a blast. Absolutely. Um, Thanks so much. And we have the, uh, the episode title now, <laughs> Kate's clown college. <laughs> 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 Uh, all right. So, uh, again, thank you so much. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you got a lot out of this interview. I think we certainly did. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i wrap up the show. I think uh, X-Ray has things he's got to take care of. So uh, this is Drop Slash, and we're wrapping up episode 14 of Ghost Stories, a Destiny podcast. This is our amazing interview and conversation with John Ryan. Uh, so stay tuned. We got more great content planned. I think we're doing Rasputin 2 next, and then we mm-hmm. may have some more surprises in store for people. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so stay tuned. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and you can shoot us emails. Oh, we're planning on doing a, possibly doing a uh, fan question episode one more time. So you can shoot us email an email at, was it dghoststories at gmail.com? Yep. Uh, so shoot us questions there. Uh, I'm, yeah, we'll, we'll get that up. Nailed it. Yeah, there we go. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll provide plenty of outtake material here for Gabble to have fun with. <laughs> Just start singing. We'll be good. 
I gotta save that for the next one. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Have a good night. take a second catch my breath and and make sure I'm kind of ready to go all right here we go good evening guardians it's February 15th 2016 and you're listening to episode 23 is that right Drop? that's how you're gonna do this <laughs> well it didn't have an episode number there and it was written in the notes no it has episode 15 no, it does not. I think you're just trying to weave my, my ghost whispers into stories in one big continuity. I don't think that I am, unless I got the wrong... All right, and we're not going to let Gabble put this in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fine. That was a great... <laughs> we're going to hang on a second. I don't know where I... I clicked on that link that you had in, in uh, Slack, and it brought that up, and it doesn't that have a date sh- on mine. Be, that should be for the folder. No, I just had the, the like, the page. Da, 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 da. So I get for trusting you. All right, let's see. Are you looking? Are you on Slack right now? Um, yeah, I am. Okay, I just sent you a PM with the link for this. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got Drive open now, so I'll get to it. I just I saw the link and clicked on that to be quick. There it is. All right, that's better. All right, here we go. There you are. All right. Hello. Yeah, I, the other one was just like a. It wasn't like it was just like a read-only doc or something weird. I don't know. Oh wait, is this episode fifteen or fourteen? Because we were because of Rasputin. Um, let's look. Fourteen was, well, thirteen was Book of Sorrows, three. Rasputin and that was, and and that was the last one we did. Yeah, Recipe in the War Mines, that was, this is part two of that one that you had listed as 14. So this is 14. and This is 14, okay. Yeah, I think so. We're really more organized than this, I promise. No, it's, it's cool. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, when, man, all good. Whenever, whenever you said, yeah, Monday works, I was like, holy crap. Because <laughs> we've, we've had a few other people we tried to schedule, and it's like, well, what about this date at this time? And then we got to go back and forth, and it's like, you know what? Let's just make whatever work work. So, all right, I am good to go. Okay. I swear.